This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Kicking off the hour by pulling coffee grounds out of my coffee. First world problems. Uh, welcome to the program. Normally we do this on Wednesday, but, you know, schedules and such. Uh, we're doing it on Tuesday. Hello, Greg Wyshynski. Yikes. I hate that. I hate uh, I hate coffee grounds in my coffee, which <laughs> sounds a little bit like an Alanis Morissette lyric now that I think about it. But the the thing that's the worst is when you've made a cup of coffee, and I, and I have a, a coffee maker that yes. is one of those basket uh, filter deals. Mm-hmm. And for whatever yep. reason, be it physics, the wind, I don't know, the um, filter folds in on itself. So now not yep. only are you getting grounds in your coffee, but now you are getting like palpably weak coffee because the water is going through several layers of the filter. It, it, it's, I, I take my coffee very seriously. I, I ground my, my beans so myself, I. and I hate, I yep, hate when you same. get uh, malfunctions. We, I need to introduce you, or you need to introduce yourself to the world of the French press, my friend. That's what you need. It, it always seemed a little haughty for me. I also didn't like the. Listen, I drink, I drink enough coffee to drown a manatee uh, during the day. the The idea that uh, I, I'm going to make my coffee in in, in tiny little uh, bell jars it doesn't do anything for me. So, like, I, I uh, hmm. that's why I've not liked the French press. I'm I'm dealing in bulk here as far as my coffee consumption. Hmm. Volume, 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 volume. Okay, here, I want to start off with something here, and I can't tell um, how impressed I should be with this. So let me give you a little <laughs> backstory. So our stats guy at Hockey Night in Canada is a guy by the name of Stan Narodka. Great guy. I mean, I've known Stan for years. Uh, he does stats for a lot of NHL teams, St. Louis Blues, Colorado Avalanche. I think he works for Vegas, uh, a couple of other teams as well. Anyway, so every Saturday... Uh, when I go to hockey night, Stan's the first person I see, and he always has like he must have this in, a huge closet full of different hockey hats, obscure teams, established oh, wow. teams, defunct teams, all of yeah, he's that guy, right? Like I love that guy. Um, and he comes to me and he hands me a tiny little sheet of paper, and on it there is one unique stat or something that'll make you go, as Arsenio Hall once said, hmm. <laughs> So he hands me this one. Did I just say Arsenio? Did, I have Arsenio? Did you think for one second you were going to hear the name Arsenio Hall today? No. Wish, but there it is. No. Vis- visions of Bill Clinton playing the saxophone and go- people going whoop, 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 <laughs> flooding through my head. What a, t- what a time to be alive when Arsenio Hall yes. would be the, the biggest name That's in right. Arsenio night. Hall. Where on on one on one show, uh, the president will play the saxophone, and then on the very next night, Hulk Hogan will lie to you about steroids. What a show! <laughs> what a time to be alive. Um, so he hands me this stat. <laughs> he hands me this stat wish, and I it sounds incredible, and I'm trying to figure out how incredible it is. So, uh, it says most consecutive games. With a shot on net. Now, the current leader in the NHL with most consecutive games with a shot on net is Alex Ovechkin. Okay, makes who sense. Who leads with 132 games in a row with a shot on net. I mean, look, let's face it. This isn't rocket surgery here. This is the whole team revolves around getting the puck to eight uh, in his spot. And, you know, he takes one-timers. Now... In second place all time is Ray Bork, who had a Raymond streak Bork. of three hundred and Raymond Bork, 
who had a streak of 360 games in a row, recording a shot on net. Again, that shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, I'm not sure what Bork's record was, but didn't he have like games where he had like 12 or 13 shots on net? Because something yeah. obscene like that. Someone, someone's gonna tweet at me here in a second. But the number one, like going away, like not even close, stop the fight. Number one is Bobby Orr mm-hmm. from February 26th, 1969 to November 1st, 1978. Bobby Orr went 501 straight games, recording at least one shot on net. Now, wow. there's more to this story. So I go off the air yesterday and I get a phone call from my old Leafs Lunch co host, Bill Waters. Uh, who was, you know, used to used to represent uh, Bobby Orr in the in the seventies, and he said, "I heard your show yesterday, and the stat from from Stanley Naradka, and he said I called Bobby, and he said he had never heard it before, and he <laughs> was stunned. He said because he thought it was, he actually had a good guess. Bobby thought it was Phil Esposito." Because Bill mm-hmm. said to him, like, hey, who do you think holds a record of all time? And listen, Espo makes sense. Hanging out in front of the net, tapping tapping in real close. And he had, you know, a volume shooter uh, as well. If you wanted to back check. If, Phil, if someone wanted to, uh, Phil Esposito to back check, they had to get a crane. He was just there for the offense. <laughs> Thank you very much. He was there for, he was there to shoot pucks in the net and, and, and tip pucks, etc. But um, how, we always talk about streaks that will never be broken you know, um, records that will never be broken. Would you put this in that category? Because the more that I think about it, I kind of think that it like, this one will never be broken. 501 straight games with a shot on goal every game. Do we put that in the will never be broken, you know, Glenn Hall consecutive games category? Well, no, I think the Glenn Hall one is in a, a different category. By the way, how many games was that again for Orr? 501. For how many years? From 69 to 78. Yeah, he probably only played 501 games during that stretch, I'm guessing, right? So, <laughs> Well, towards the end, uh, he played six I, the games thing about, one year uh, and two, two, next. Two things about this. First of all, on Bobby Orr, I, I mean, like, again, before before my time, uh, I, knew him as, I knew him from point production. I knew him from goal scoring. I guess it never occurred to me that if he's scoring that many goals, he's shooting the puck a lot. I did not know that. In 69-70, he had 413 shots on goal in 76 games. <laughs> That's insane. How, whoa, whoa, whoa. How, how many? 413 shots on goal, courtesy of our friends at Hockey Reference, in 76 games. How did his shoulders not fall off? That's insane. That's a lot of the shots. other thing I'll say about this, though, is like, like when it comes to any offensive record, be it consecutive games with a shot, be it Gretzky's points record, I always come back to one thing that gives me pause. When we talk about records of longevity, especially like the, the, like the Glenn Hall record, mm-hmm. and, and now we're getting into like these consecutive yeah. games records being broken here and there, um, that's a different kind of record than a statistical achievement record. And the thing that always gives me pause about any time we say, well, this is an unbreakable record. Like the Gretzky points record is an unbreakable record. What if one day, maybe after you and I have both passed through this mortal coil, the NHL, assuming Ooh. it's still there when the sun explodes, uh, it says, you know what? We're not really happy with the product right now. We're going to play four on four. 
or we're going to play three 100%. on three. Like there's always the or chance. Or we're two pucks. Right, or we're two pucks. Exactly. There's always a chance that they're going to do something, <laughs> to quote Jeff Merrick, cuckoo yeah. bananas, uh, to make the sport mm. different than what it is. If they finally say, you know, we're never going to break through in the United States – uh, doing what we're doing now. We've done all we can. We're, we have kids from Orlando playing in the league. We stopped fighting each other. We're do, we're, there's a team in Arizona. Like, we're doing all the things we thought we needed to do. It's still yeah. not getting traction. So now we're going to play three on three. And there's always the chance they're going to do that. And yeah, we'll have to like start giving out asks or asterisks like they give away samples at Costco. But uh, But there's always the chance they're going to do that. And all of a sudden, these offensive records start falling. No, all of it, listen, all of it is is contextual as well. Like I was making the point yesterday, even with, with Bobby Orr's you know, record of consecu- consecutive um, games in a row with a shot, I've always, and I know people from my vintage really hate hearing this because, you know, sports is always best when you're 12. Um, you know, when you look at when the league was at its weakest and the most watered down, it was it was specifically that era. Because of expansion 67, expansion 70, 72, 74, WHA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not that I, not that I throw those records away, but I, I do sort of look at them differently than when it was, you know, a league of six or when it was, you know, the league, you know, after the, uh, the, the four WHA teams were absorbed into the NHL and the league actually, you know, settled for a decade or a decade and a half. When, you know, it, it is actually at, at, a, at a stronger level. I kind of, I don't know if you do that too. You sort of look at eras and you say, okay, well, how good was the league really? Oh, yeah. At that point. Right. I mean, but that also speaks to like, you know, the, the skill set of, of, of the goaltenders, the equipment that they're wearing, who we were allowing to play in our league at that point. You know, all of those things kind of factor into it. The thing about, I want to pause on shots on goal though, because I do find it interesting. So, Shots on goal have had a okay. moment during the Ovechkin tenure in the National Hockey League. I think I think the the mm-hmm. a, amount of shots that guy took uh, each season to score the amount of goals that he scored um, may have opened up people's eyes to the concept of shot volume. Then we get into the analytics time when shots on goal uh, and shot attempts are now how we define puck possession for better or worse. And then after that, we slide right into, uh, and I'm not saying what we're sliding on because depending on how you feel about this, is probably different substances, uh, sports wagering mm-hmm. and the importance of shots on goal to sports wagering uh, in, insofar as prop bets for NHL players. And, and now we're really paying attention to how many times uh, Tage Thompson shoots the puck in a game. You know, So shots on goal have, I think, while always having been a statistic that we paid attention to, really i think mm-hmm. have entered more of a hockey zeitgeist during the ovechkin era for, you know, for those three stages of the yes. rocket that i just detailed and i'll i'll throw i want to throw one more log on the fire there too yeah. because in the uh, in the age of in the age of analytics and the rise of uh, volume shooting and and shot attempts um there was the the one team and i remember it was just sort of a casual throwaway line but because it was a throwaway line i knew there was something to it I remember speaking to someone, a player at the uh, who used to play with the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, who once told me, he said, "Look, you know, we're a very analytics-based team. That's where we, you know, but that that's you know where we uh, where we find value, uh, and that's how we uh, measure hockey players." And he said, "I'll just be blunt. 
we spend the first period of every game just warming up our course, our coursey. That's that's what we do. We just first period, just warm up the coursey, warm up the coursey, and then we'll get on, we'll get on to play. Right, right. Uh, but it's all, but it's also just like you said. I mean, the analytics part of it's fascinating too. But to go back to Orr and Bork, I mean, you could also look at shots on goal and how that's changed for certain players too, based on how the game's changed vis-a-vis the way that defensemen produce offense now. You know, like the days of the booming slapper at the uh, the blue line on the power player done. You know, how many of those were Ray Bork shots, you know, uh, playing the point? It's kind of interesting to also yeah. think about what what a, what a player's shots on goal would have been in different eras versus what it'll be now just because of the difference in responsibility for these guys. So interesting how, you know, it, it's funny too. I was, I was going to make this point off the top of the show and you, you kind of brought me to it right now. I spend a lot of my time, as you know, Greg, talking about <laughs> hockey history. And the reason yeah. I do is I think history is new. Like I think every time I read a book about World War One, it's actually new because context has completely changed. And now we're looking back. I mean, how many different times have we had different different conversations about the value of something like plus minus, which was the conversation that used to exist in night between 1917 to 1925 about the assist, which mm-hmm. in a lot of ways was a fancy stat of the day, which I always like to remind people, you know, the first quote unquote analytic was assists. People didn't think that it meant anything. Well, nothing happened. You just move the puck to someone else and then they scored. So they should get the point. No, but now this is the beginning of, you know, pre-shot movement and et cetera. And actually on <laughs> tangent time, when you look at old game sheets, when, you know, single Jeff had a lot of time on his hands and did things like went and looked at old game sheets a lot at the hockey hall of fame resource center oh, um, yeah, you did. on it. The, the NHL. Oh yeah. Kept me single for a long time. Wish kept me single buddy <laughs> on the, on the game sheets. The NHL would have written, you know, encouraging, uh, encouraging the uh, the uh, the official uh, note keeper or, or game sheet keeper, encouraging, uh, reminding them to encourage officials to award assists. Now, at that point, it was about marketing, <laughs> right? Because look at all the point totals at all these players, right. and this you guy is great because right. he has so yeah, many yeah. points. It's it's part. At that point, though, it had nothing to do with evaluating or measuring the game. It was part of the marketing of the game. You know, it was like Joe Hall's got, you know, 80 points in 14 games. Wow. It's right. a it's a big number. But that's why it was originally introduced as a way to sell the players as these offensive juggernauts. How did we get here? I do love, get I do love the fact. I, lo- I do love the idea that there was a time in the NHL in which the goal scorer was the only person who gets credit statistically for doing anything on the play. True. Talk about like an, an example Truth. of Randy and ex- exceptionalism of, uh, you know, the, 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 the only the man himself <laughs> who pulls himself by the bootstraps to score the goal should get credit for having done so. Correct. Yes. Right. Someone can have an end to end rush and then, you know, a little, little backhand pass to the slot and you tap it in, but uh, nope, it's only one player that gets uh, credit correct. for it. Or right. one point for it. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to figure out whether whether or how impressive this statistic is. Most hold, consecutive hold, games with the shot. Now, now Bobby you got Orr, me thinking about assists. Hold on. Now you got me thinking about assists. Okay. Like, if sure. it was for marketing purposes, right back in yes. the day, if that was the the, yes. the the impetus for counting assists, and I imagine the impetus for counting secondary assists was the same thing. Let's spread the wealth even more. Let's make sure that the defenseman Bingo. gets his assist in order to then, you know, make sure that he's getting his point totals up. Why don't we have a third assist? 
why don't we just make a third assist? Or now, now everybody's okay, gonna be a hundred okay. point player, right? Okay. Now, okay, hang on a second here. Now, hang on. Okay, this is what I love. So I love these types of conversations. How about this then, Greg? The game sheet is not official, and the points are not official until after the game, someone reviews each goal and the play that led up to that goal to find out who really contributed to it. Because it might be the defenseman that breaks up a two-on-one, sends it up to the winger who sends it across to another winger who sends it to the center. It's those two wingers that get the assist, but who really is responsible for that goal. I would make the argument even more so than those wingers that pass it to the center. It's a defenseman that broke up the two-on-one. And shouldn't that player get an assist on the play? Why does it only saying, have to be the two players that touch the puck before the goal? So are you, are you saying that the defenseman... Does the defenseman touch the puck in that? Like, is he breaking up the pass? Yes. So okay, he'll, so he'll touch like the puck. Sub- he'll send a pass to like one winger. Yeah, it's not like a subjective thing where you're like, well, this defenseman's play then led to the goal. You're saying he actually touches the puck and then two and then three other people touch the puck after that. Correct. And that defenseman gets no credit Nothing. for an assist. Should that player get an assist? But again, that comes down to personal evaluation and personal preference. Who actually contributed most to that goal? And again, that is completely subjective, and I get that. But and as a, as we're you know spitballing hockey rules and and what what you know what constitutes a real assist and who helped out on a play at one seventeen Eastern on a Tuesday afternoon? Why not have that conversation? Let me ask you this then. Let me ask you this: if we're going to okay. be subjective about it, and if we feel a little bit oogie about adding a third yeah. assist to the box score, now the box score, my God, it's even longer than the standings are. Uh, you've got so many names in there if it's a third assist. <laughs> what if you then okay. subjectively say that defenseman who broke up the two-on-one that led to the chance the other way played a more vital role in that sequence than the guy yeah. who got the secondary yes. assist? And therefore, subjectively, yeah. Judge Corsi over here pounds his gavel and says, hey, look, that secondary assist guy, get out of here, buddy. Defenseman, you've got yeah, yourself that's what I'm a helper. Right. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. 100%. Wow. Will you entertain that conversation? Will you I entertain will because that conversation? Because honestly, like, with the, there's an entire conversation happening in hockey all the time about the, the counterfeit nature of the secondary assist. Like, when you start to see these myopic arguments, usually led by yours truly, about the Hart Trophy, many times <laughs> it's an argument about what the actual value of the player is to his team. And the value of the player to his team is usually expressed through goals and primary helpers. You can look yeah. at a secondary assist and say, okay, that's a cheapie. So in this case, it's almost like you are auditing the goal to make sure that everyone yeah. got the value that they deserve and the accolades that they deserve for the for what they accomplished yep. in that play. And as a hockey fan yep. who is inherently interested in making sure that Joe Lunchpail, the blue-collar defenseman <laughs> whose valorous play led to his team's offensive success on the other yeah. hand, gets his just desserts to make sure that Jacob Slavin can get consideration for the Norris I mean, I'm all for it. Mm. I'm all for making sure you that know, the foot soldiers okay. get their flowers. You know who would be getting a lot more flowers than they do then if we went down this road of subjectively awarding assists based on who contributed to goals in either a direct or indirect way? You know who would get more flowers and, by extension, more assists? Hmm. 
goalies. That's right. All of a sudden, a save? goalie Hold on. Are we assist counting records a save? would be shattered. Are we, are we counting a save? Yeah. As but an it assist, has to be why a not? Sa- Under this criteria. To, no, because like just because you were there in the right position and the puck goes off your pad and then they go back the other way and score, you don't deserve anything. No, 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 no. But if you are making... No, no, no. no you're right. Because like, uh, if, just like a regular a routine sa- save, pedestrian right, save. Right, if they make a save where they're kicking the puck out of danger, they're they're making a purposeful save to then create a play going in the opposite direction. They're never getting an assist for that. They're usually only getting an assist for like, you know, saucer passes down the ice to a guy to set up a two-on-one, like Shashurkin style. So you're right. Like if they make yep. a, a save that that is a purposeful and directly leads to a transition to offense. I'm all for it. I'm all for that being part of it. Cause you're right. Like uh, you talk about, you know, players that are never included in the offensive conversation. It's the ones that are there to deprive offensive joy. They're the goalies, but they play a valuable offensive role in transitioning their own players back mm. the other way, but are never given credit for it unless it's an outlet pass. Never. Correct. But under this new game sheet criteria, they've got a greater shot at it. Now, That's right. speaking of game sheet, so it's funny. I was thinking about this this morning as I was throwing a Frisbee with my dog in the backyard. All this right. is a peek inside my brain this morning. You know what I thought about, Greg? I What's thought that? about multiple players scoring the same goal. Now, hear me on this. What is <laughs> the call? For any officials that are out there right now, maybe Stephen Walcom, if you're listening right now, any official around the NHL or amateur officials, any official. Shout Let's out say Dave you have Jackson a scenario where you have. Yes, oh, I love Dave. He's great. He's awesome. Um, okay. Here's the scenario. Okay. You have a puck in front of a. Let's just say it's an empty net. Okay. You have one player on the left side of the puck. One player on the right side of the puck. The right side of the puck player is a left-hand shot. On the left side, it's a right-hand shot. They both take a swipe at the same puck. The tip of each stick hits the puck at the exact same time. So essentially, you have two sticks putting one puck in the net. Okay. Who gets credit for the goal? Okay, are are they parallel to each other, or is one maybe yes. closer to yes. the net than the other? Okay, well that's that parallel that to parallel to each other, and they both sweep it, and the tip of each stick hits the puck at the exact same time. Essentially, they're each hitting half of the puck. Who gets credit for the goal? I know this is okay. stupid, but here we are. No, it's it's, sports it's talk not. Radio, it's, man. it's important. <laughs> um, it's important. I here's my answer. Which okay. one of those players is in? more dire need of hitting an incentive level in their contract <laughs> bonus <laughs> this is like uh there's two players on a on a on a two on o and one has 40 goals already right. and one has 39 who's taking right. the shot if you have right. a 40 goal bonus right those Which... those stories used to be legendary with empty nets towards the end of the season 100 percent. and Which and actually those... there are tons yeah. there are, there's there's a lot of stories where coaches have been instructed 
when a player is approaching a bonus and there's an empty net situation, coaches that have been told, this used to happen in the 70s all the time, coaches would be told by owners, don't put that player on the ice so we don't have to pay the bonus. Don't give right. me the no, easy goals oh, so we have to pay, don't have to pay the bonus. Absolutely happens all the time. Um, furthermore, is do one of those players currently have does one of those players currently have an, an icicle or a down, a down arrow next to his name on the fantasy board uh, to indicate <laughs> that he's been in a, 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 a terrible slump and could certainly use that goal? I would, I would, I would use those and, as sort of and, your and, sneaky And criteria. could use that bump? Yeah. But, he, but bump, here's the sure. thing. Like, as, as completely ridiculous an example as that might be, to your previous point, now in the world of, you know, interaction, bracket, gambling— um, everything like this matters. Who gets credit for that goal? Is it possible you can award a goal to two players on the same play? So, so here's the thing. Uh, uh, God, God's honest yes. truth, okay? With the advent of puck and player tracking, theoretically, yeah. and, and this, will, this will come when we get better optical uh, tracking, Maybe beginning next season. One one of the things. Remember that big city greens cartoon thing that we did at ESPN. Um, yeah, yeah. It was real fun. It was real fun. But one of the things I discovered in reporting that story, kind of got buried in the larger feature story, is that um, we're, we don't have a full tracking system yet in the NHL. We have uh, the, nope. the sensor on the player, the sensor in the puck. Uh, what we lack is the visual tracking component that's going to be able to really figure out things like arm position and things of that nature. And mm -hmm. we were supposed to have it, but the current optical tracking is merely a check and balance on the current sensor tracking, right? It, it's not a separate component. It just is there to kind of like check the work of what the sensors are telling us. But right. the NHL says that within the next year, maybe year and a half, we are going to have an optical tracking system that's going to fill in the data that we currently don't have about like arm position and body position and things like that. So we are still waiting for a buttload of data to come from the NHL when it comes to that stuff. So when we get that Merrick, one assumes yeah. the combination of the sensors on the player, the sensors in the puck and the optical tracking would be able to, and I, and I know that you're going to say, but the hit is the same time. It's impossible to hit things, something at the same time. One of them will have hit the puck a fraction of a millisecond faster than the other. <laughs> and and once we can figure out exactly how or who hit it first yep. through this tracking data, then we'd be able yep. to determine who scored the goal. There's there's um there's uh there's there, there's someone in the NHL that I bother all the time with questions like this. And I can you know when you're talking to someone and you can hear their eyeballs rolling back? <laughs> That's what this yeah. one is going to be, I think, after the show. Yeah, it's going to be like, yeah. hey, I got an idea. <laughs> or, hey, what would happen if? Anyway, that's a little uh, glimmer into uh, what I think about while I throw the Frisbee with my dog this morning. Yeah. Would we ever see a scenario where two people will be awarded a goal on the same shot? Um, one thing I did want to talk about was um, your conversation with Adam Fantilli. Oh, yeah. With, uh, with Arda on the drop. What do you think of him? One, I, I think he's got a bit of personality, so I'm excited about that. Um, two, yep. one of the things I found really interesting about his game, and I think that it, it will be definitely something that whoever is is lucky enough 
Well, I mean, you know, lucky in context. You're really, really lucky if you get Bedard, but you're still pretty lucky if you get Fantilli. Uh, wh- whoever ends sure. up with this kid is going to be really happy with the way that he he attacks the net. Uh, Craig Button, mm-hmm. uh, our, our friend, once told me that Fantilli plays uh, like a dog on a bone. And, and, and I think that that's a, the, an apt comparison to what I've seen from him insofar as his ability to attack the net, be around the net, and, and really have... Uh, a knack for using his size to get in position to to collect garbage around the crease when necessary. And I think that's a, to, on top of being an extraordinarily skilled playmaker, like to have that ability, I think is going to really endear him to, you know, probably Philadelphia, <laughs> if we're being honest, which would be a pretty good match, <laughs> I think, stylistically for him, if we're being honest. Do you think it's interesting? And listen, I I hate to do the uh, well. I saw him when he was you know eleven teen, but you know there was this one uh, OHL Cup. This with the uh, with the two thousand threes and this incredible Don Mills Flyer squad that had Shane Wright and Brennan Othman and Brant Clark, etc. And they played the Toronto Red Wings in the final, and it was the Fantilli show. It was and Red Wings went up like three nothing in the first period, and they're going to rain on the parade and hand the Domino's flyers. I think only it would have been their second loss of the season. Like Fantilli has always had, and we've seen it at Michigan as well, just ways to completely take over games. Like yeah, I, 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 remember, I hate this is one of the reasons why this is one of the reasons why I hate the World Juniors because the World Juniors is like a two week slice of yeah. someone's career, and then everybody makes up their mind about the player. That's not Adam right. Fantilli. Like no. what you saw at the World, that is not Adam Fantilli at I, all. The Fantilli that, serves, you know, is the, that the was, guy that I used to see with the Red Wings or you see him at Michigan now. Right. If memory serves that Red Wings team, that was one of those deals, like you said, where all the scouts and all the hockey punditry were there to see Wright and, and other yes. players. Yes. And then all of a sudden Fantilli comes Pond. strolling out and you're like, wait a sec. It's like that, that meme of the guy checking out the other girl while he's with his girlfriend. You know, it's like, whoa, Adam yeah. Fantilli. Now, what's this? Now, now, having said that, Shane Wright was an underager, so everyone's like, okay, he's playing as an underager here. But Fantilli was, you know, with all due respect to your Shane Wrights and Offmans and Clarks, he was the best player on the ice Yeah, in the biggest no. game of his career or any of those kids' career up to that point. Yeah, and, and again, like you said, it's the, the World Junior is just a, a slice of time, and, and it, it, it's it's what it was. But um, he's, he's an extraordinarily talented player. One of the fun parts of that interview that we did with, with him at Fantilli, you can find it on, on YouTube um, um, uh, if you search for ESPN in the drop, is uh, we were asking him about preparations for the draft. You know, like at what point do you start to think about the party and who you're going to hug and kiss and what you're going to wear? And I was, I was fully That's prepared. That's the big one fully prepared for him to be like, well, you know, it's not something you can think about until after the frozen force. And he's like, my mom's handling it yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, 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 She's, yeah. She, he's like, it's, it's a, it's a city where it's not, you know, there's going to be venues that we have to book well ahead of time, you know, because they're yeah. gonna, it's going to get booked up pretty quickly. And he said that he has put thought into what he's going to wear to the draft. And it, to the point where there's sure. a particular, there's a particular, charcoal checkered suit that a Vander Kane wore uh, in like a photo shoot mm. that he's explored trying to acquire to wear to the draft. And, and not only that, but he's also uh, workshopping what the lining inside of his jacket will look like oh, for the yeah. draft. That's and so like, it, that's a, it's huge awesome. One. It's the end of March. 
this kid is trying to win a national championship for, for Michigan. <laughs> oh, oh, and oh, oh, by the way, is is counting yeah. down the days until a bunch of ping pong balls uh, determine yep. the fate of his National Hockey League career. But he is carving out time yes. to figure out where and when he can acquire the charcoal suit that Evander Kane wore and what the lining of that suit might look like. Listen, as I always remind people, certainly around draft time and needing kids to stay focused and blah, blah, but don't be distracted. People have the ability to think about more than one thing at a time. And that's okay if Adam Fantilli wants to spend some brain power thinking about what the lining of his suit is going to look like in Nashville at the draft. Hey, 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 listen, in true MVSW tradition, I have a column to write this week. I'm going to start writing it. I'm going to start writing it here on the show. What okay. what team do you think two is minutes, closest? Go. What team do you think is closest to winning if they get Bedard? Oh, like, who do you think is the most one. set up for that what right team? now? Because I, I I I there's a part of me there's I mean Montreal definitely, Detroit's in the conversation, Vancouver obviously. Um, Listen, you know what? Say, I think Phila- I think Philadelphia Philadelphia can turn this thing around quick, but I'm factoring in trades. When you factor in How trades, close? I think Philadelphia is. Listen, yeah, no, you, no, without question. I, honestly, I, th- I think Philly, because when you think about what they'll do with either Provorov or Konechny or Hayes and what they can get in exchange, plus their own draft position, plus the emergence of Morgan Frost and Forrester and Sammy Erson, if they make a decision on Carter Hart, like I, I know that Philadelphia's rebuilding here, but if Briere can pull off the right moves. Oof, and if you can add a Connor Bedard, oof, now, I, I, I think maybe my answer is Philly. I think it now, is. What if you what if you added Bedard to a team that has Patrick Laine, Johnny Gaudreau, and Zach Wierenski on it? I don't. I still don't know about that mix. Yeah. Now, what I if you add don't. Connor Bedard still... to a team that has Logan Couture, Tom Tomas Hurdle, and Eric Carlson on it? That's that's the other one. You got a lot of vets with San Jose. Yeah. That and it's a fun that, thought and experiment. That, that might that might that's a great thought experiment. That might be the one too, because I don't think San Jose is looking to rebuild at all. <laughs> I don't think no. I don't think that they're <laughs> looking for picks and futures. No, 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 no. They, they're they, like they are calling the Edmonton French... to say, uh, "Oh, you want Dre, you want, want to send Drysdale our way?" No, that they are me frantically uh, playing the Mega Millions in in the hopes that I can just cut the line. <laughs> Um, I got a hustle, uh, and you got a piece to write, which is uh, always nice when you uh, workshop that here on the uh, on the podcast. Um, you be good, my friend. Thanks for the uh, the thought experiments on who gets the award for, you know, who gets awarded a goal if two people shoot the puck in at the exact same time with the tips of their sticks on half the pucks. Thanks for indulging my goofiness, Greg. Exactly at the That's same exact millisecond, Eric. There's nobody went first. It's just yeah. at the same exact millisecond. Correct. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You make the call. Over to you, Dave Jackson. Right. Over to you, Dave. Um, thanks, Wish. Talk in seven days. There he is, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Uh, we do have to hustle. When we come back, a little treat. So Matt Marchese, our producer and full-time fill-in host on this program, had a chance on his own show on the weekend to talk with Adam Copeland, Edge, from WWE. I want to play some of that for you here coming up in a couple of moments and give uh, give Maddie a little more shine time. Uh, so that's coming up in a couple of moments. Merrick Show continues, Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment.